is everything. What does that mean? What does that mean for me? I like to play a game when my wife is on the telephone. I've never told her this, but I like to try to figure out from just listening to half of the conversation, what does this mean for me? Usually somewhere in the conversation, something like, oh no, that's terrible, will come out. That could mean that the squirrels have eaten the tomatoes. It could mean that there are thermonuclear missiles on the way from Russia. It's hard to figure out exactly what, oh no, that's terrible means. And I try to figure out, does this mean I need to set the trap again? Does this mean we need to sell our home and move to the mountains? What does this mean to me? It's Friday night. <clears throat> Passion Week is almost over. Jesus is resting in the tomb. It has been a dramatic week. It, it started out with a feast, a feast at Simon's house, held for Jesus by Simon, the Pharisee, to thank him for curing him from leprosy. At the feast, we have a number of other players who take part. We have Lazarus, who has been raised from the dead. We probably have Martha, who is serving the food. From what we as Adventists know, Martha, Lazarus, and Mary were the nieces and nephew of Simon, the Pharisee. They all lived in the city of Bethany, and all of them had been touched by Jesus. Simon had been cured from a disease that was called worse than death. Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Mary had probably had the most contact with Jesus. We're told that Jesus had cured her or had cast out demons from her life at least seven times. There's also intimation that Mary may have been the woman caught in adultery. She was known, Luke says, as a woman who was loose, a woman who had bad morals, bad moral character. She also was the one who listened most closely to what Jesus said. She understood that he had talked about his death. She had bought very expensive spices to treat Jesus. She now believed that perhaps he was going to be crowned king. And in that mixture of fear of death and joy that he might be crowned king, she sneaked into the feast and washed his feet, drying them with her hair and weeping with him with her tears on his feet. 
Because of this, Simon sat back and said, if Jesus knew what an evil woman this is, he wouldn't let her touch him. Judas said, this is expensive stuff. She could have sold this for 300 pounds, $300, and could have used this money to feed the poor. Jesus, however, knew things that they didn't think he knew. Jesus knew that Simon, Uncle Simon, was the one who had led Mary into a life of sin in the first place. He also knew that Judas was stealing money from the common purse. And at this feast, he held up Mary and reprimanded Simon and Judas in a way that they got the message, but nobody else did. What does this mean for us? As the week continues on, the next day, apparently, there is this procession that goes into Jerusalem, crowning, hopefully, crowning the king with Jesus riding on the donkey, being led by Lazarus into the city. Halfway down the hill, he stops and weeps. This contrast of joy and sorrow that we see throughout the week. He then goes into the temple and once again throws out the money changers, trying to clean his father's house and to make it a house of prayer once more instead of a house of commerce. And then the most eventful Thursday night in the history of the world where Jesus meets with the disciples in the upper room. And he does a several things. First, as we just did, he washes their feet. God washed 11 pairs of dirty feet, 12 pairs of dirty feet. As they ate, there were only two feet that had not been washed. Jesus. How the disciples could stand by even after wash, watching him wash their feet and not wash his is a marvel to all of us. He then spent the rest of the evening trying to get into his disciples three and a half years worth of sermons. If you read John 13 through John 17, some of the most distilled theological comments that the Bible has ever had, as he says to them in his last sermon, the Father and I are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He says something that many of us still haven't accepted. He said, I will not intercede with the Father for you. The Father loves you himself. You don't need me as an intercessor. He says, I've finished the work that you gave me to do. I have glorified your name on the earth. He tells his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. He reminds them again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you love me, keep my commandments. He says, I am leaving, but I will not leave you alone. I will send a helper to be with you when I am gone. I will go, but I will return. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will have much fruit. I call you my friends, 
No longer do I call you my servants. You are my friends. It is better for you that I go away. And the disciples sat there thinking, what are you talking about? They were still concerned about who was going to be greatest in this kingdom that Christ was about to establish, they believed. He also said, the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. To know God, to know me, is life eternal. And I pray that you all may be one, even as we are one. And as Jesus lay in the tomb over the Sabbath, there was no theological reason for this. Why did he do it? He had finished the work. He had claimed on the cross, it is finished, as he gave up his life and died. He lay over in the tomb for two reasons, I believe. Number one was to give the disciples, the priests, the rulers, and everyone who had watched, to give them an opportunity to reflect on what had happened, to remember what this death meant, to remember what this life meant. He also did it to add one more piece to the value of Sabbath. Throughout history, we see the Sabbath being built with more and more value given to it. And this is one more point where Christ rests on the Sabbath to add value to the Sabbath. So let's go in our imaginations back and think about what we should be reflecting on. Think about those comments that Jesus had given in his last sermon to the disciples to think about what happened on the cross. We oftentimes talk about how Jesus died and gave his blood to save us. I have a vial of blood here. I had this drawn today. This is my blood. How many sins is this blood worth? In the Old Testament, we have blood all over the place. Blood of sheep, blood of goats, blood of bulls. It was sprinkled on the altar. It was sprinkled in the, in the temple. It was used as a symbol of washing away sins. Is it that this blood is not good enough? If I had a vial of Jesus' blood... Would it wash away my sins? If you were to test my blood and to test Jesus' blood, you would probably find that we both had the same RH factor, O positive. That's what the majority of Jewish blood has. That's what I have. You would also find that we probably have a number of antibodies against very similar diseases because I was raised in Africa and lived around, um, around many of the diseases Christ would have been exposed to. So what in his blood was different than my blood? Why is his blood able to save multitudes and my blood can't even save myself? What happened on the cross? Many Christians really focus on the blood. 
Some of you may have seen Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion. Blood was everywhere. It focused on the beating of Christ, the bleeding of Christ, the temples, how he bled with the crown of thorns, the, the sweat that had blood in it, focusing on the blood of Jesus. Why? What does that mean? As he lies there in the tomb, many of the priests went back and began to read through the Old Testament, began to look at what could this possibly mean? Why all the blood? Why the death of Christ? What does this mean? How often have we spent time, particularly over the Sabbath, particularly over the Easter, thinking about what does the blood mean? It was a remarkable death in many different ways. He died very, very quickly. This was unthought of for crucifixion. Crucifixion sometimes lasted for days. And not only was it unusual in the length of time that it took for him to die, it was unusual in the way he looked, he focused as he died. It was almost as if he was preoccupied. He barely felt the physical pain. He didn't look like he was suffering pain from the whipping, from the crucifixion. It looked as if he was having a discussion with his father, because he was. His words were not about his pain. His words were about his loved ones. His words were about his mother. His words were about the thief on the cross who was looking for salvation. His words were a discussion with his father. Father, why are you forsaking me? The death was totally different. It was so different that the centurion, a hardened Roman soldier, when he died said, surely, this was the Son of God. As we think about that, as Christ is lying in the tomb, what happened on the cross? C.S. Lewis talks about how Christians disagree on many things, but one thing all Christians agree on is that something really important happened at the cross. There's no better time for us to think about that than tonight, as we think about Christ lying in the tomb. What was happening at the cross? We as Seventh-day Adventists have different beliefs than most Christians. It has been my experience that many Adventists seem to think that we are just like most evangelical Christians, except for we believe in the Sabbath being the day of rest instead of Sunday. But much of our theology about what happened on the cross, what happened with our sins, is very similar to other evangelicals. But if you read carefully in the writings of Ellen White, we find that we are different than almost any other church. In fact, we are different. We have a belief in what we call the great controversy, that something happened millennia ago that was being answered at the cross, that it wasn't just the blood it was the death of Christ that was necessary. And the death of Christ was not just for Barabbas. It wasn't just for me. It wasn't even just for the human race. We're told that angels, unfallen, perfect angels, were just as dependent for their eternal salvation and security on the death of Christ on the cross 
as are we sinners. How could that possibly be? If Jesus died to save me from my sins and his blood washes away sins, how could his blood and his death do anything for perfect angels? This is where Adventist theology has an answer, that Jesus died not just to save us from our sins, but to make the universe secure for eternity. Because somebody had raised questions, had doubted the trustworthiness, the beneficence of God, and had raised questions. Lucifer, millennia before Christ died on the cross, raised questions and said, you cannot trust God. God is lying to you. He also does not have your best interests in mind. There is a better way for you as creatures. You can know like God knows if you'll just eat this fruit. He also said that God, if he does kill sinners, is the one who is punishing them. He's the one who destroys them. He is the one who will destroy sinners in the end of time. Now, we as Adventists had better have an answer for that because we believe very strongly in the third angel's message. And if you've read the third angel's message recently, it's all about the death of the wicked. So where do we find somebody dying as if he was wicked? The only place in history we see that is on the cross. Jesus was made sin who knew no sin. He emptied himself and became as if he were a sinner. And so on the cross, as we watch Jesus die, we see the questions that Satan had raised answered. The first question, does sin lead to death? He had told Adam and Eve it doesn't. He had told the universe it doesn't. Jesus, as a sinner, died. That's what the blood means. That's what the, what the, the, the death is all, sig uh, the significance of the blood in his death is that there is truly a death for sinners. The second question that was raised by, by Lucifer was, if God does, if you do die, it's because God killed you. And so we watch closely on the cross. Where is God killing his son? We see this earlier in Gethsemane, where Christ fell dying to the ground, and God did not lay a hand on him. Once again, we as Adventists have a unique answer here where Ellen White says that the Father and the Son were suffering together, and she calls that the wrath of God. Just like Paul in Romans 1 calls it the wrath of God when he lets sinners go. It's not that he destroys them. It's not that he tortures them. It's not that he was killing his son. So another question is answered there that we can reflect on as Jesus is lying in the tomb. The third question that was answered, the final question that, that was answered at the cross for tonight anyway, was why does it make a difference if we believe that God is the one who kills sinners? There was torture before and at the cross, and it was torture by the leading theologians of the Jewish nation. It was torture by the Pharisees. It was torture by the Romans working with the Pharisees. And they did cause pain. And they did try to kill Christ. 
but it was not at the hand of the Father. And so as we watch Jesus lying in the tomb this Friday night, it's time for us to remember. When we take communion, it says, do this in remembrance of me. When we keep the Sabbath, we're told to remember the Sabbath day. That's not just so that we don't forget it. It's that we, we remember the meaning of the Sabbath. We remember the meaning of the blood. We remember the meaning of the flesh. We remember the meaning of what Christ did on the cross. So for 24 hours at least, he lay in the, in the tomb begging his disciples, begging the Jewish people, and begging us to remember what happened on the cross. I can't explain why I'm blessed, but I am, and a lot of it has to do with this church, and I love each and every one of you, and I love worshiping with you guys. So I'm gonna read this to make sure I get it right. May Jesus bless you with gentleness and a heart that is tender. May Jesus bless you with strength against all principalities. May Jesus bless you with compassion and with care. May Jesus bless you with courage, daring to be who you are. May Jesus bless you with openness, understanding, and respect. And may Jesus bless you with the power to meet Jesus all. Amen.